Hey there, it's Nikki Klosser, and I want to let you know about an awesome free giveaway for people on our email list. If you haven't already, click the link in our podcast description or go to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up to get on the list. If you sign up, you'll get a free Posing 101 PDF to jumpstart things. It's an epic PDF, so you'll definitely want to get this. Also, just by being in our email community, you'll get deals, sales, and information about any of our upcoming events and activities. So head over to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up and sign up today. You're listening to the Portrait System Podcast. And they called us in one Friday and said, yeah, you guys don't need to come in on Monday. We're closing the Boston office. And so I was laid off. And as we all know, change is hard. But when it's forced on you, sometimes it's one of the best things that can happen. Welcome to the Portrait System Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Klosser, and this show is here to help you succeed in the world of photography and business, to help you learn to become financially free doing what you love and so much more. With over 1 million downloads, countless photographers have taken what they've learned from both our episodes and from theportraitsystem.com, and they have grown their businesses, quit their day jobs, and are designing a life of their dreams. We keep it real and share stories about the ups and downs that come with running a photography business. You'll hear real-life stories of how other photographers run their business, and you'll learn actionable steps that you can take to reach your own goals. Thank you so much for being here, and let's get started. Hey guys, now is your chance to check out all of the incredible photography education we have available for you at theportraitsystem.com. For only $7, you will get access to over 1,000 videos, including pricing, posing, marketing, lighting, sales, inspiring photo shoots, self-value, and more. Yes, you'll get your first month for only $7 when you become a pro member, and you'll get access to the full download library with posing guides and workbooks and so much more. Also, this includes a pricing calculator, a studio startup timeline, our weekly live broadcasts, including Sue Bryce's live talks, access to our private members-only Facebook groups, special discounts on photography products, and so much more. Head over to theportraitsystem.com and enter the code PODCAST7 to get your first month for only $7. That's theportraitsystem.com and enter the code PODCAST7. My guest this week on The Portrait System is Sean Black with Couture Black. Sean is located just outside of Boston, and he started out as a wedding photographer. But once he had kids, he realized working so many weekends was not going to fit into his lifestyle anymore. At that point, he made the shift to a full-time boudoir photographer. Sean and his wife, Michelle, are business partners with their studio, and they also recently acquired the Association of International Boudoir Photographers. Sean talks us through exactly how they run the boudoir business, and he gives so much great information. Okay, let's get started with Sean Black. Hey, Sean. Welcome to The Portrait System. How are you? I'm doing good, Nikki. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Hey, where are you located? I'm located in Boston, actually, just a little bit north of the city, but no one ever knows where it is, so I always say Boston. Okay, gotcha. Is it like a smaller town? Uh, It's a smaller town. It's actually located right next to Salem, Mass., so everyone seems to know Salem and which city in the Halloween capital of the world. Right, right, for sure. I do, anyway. So, for what you do and what you shoot, are you mostly getting clients from Boston, or are you sticking with clients from your town? Ultimately, my clientele comes from all over the country, actually. We have clients that have flown in from California, Miami. Yes, the bulk of my clients come from the local Boston, New England, 
area, but it's not limited to a local clientele at the point that I've gotten to in my career. We market nationwide. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Like, okay, how do you get clients to come to you from around the country? Like, what's your strategy? What we do is whenever I'm traveling, whether it be for conferences or different educational speaking opportunities, I try and shoot content while I'm there or book clients while I'm there. So one, I have stuff from a local area that we can show, but at the same Mm -hmm. time, post out on social media that I'm in the area and I may be back this time next year. And then we just sort of bring them into our fold, get them into our private group and they fall in love with our work, they fall in love with our brand, and they decide it's worth the investment to come to the studio. Yeah, and it seems like, too, you might get referrals. So if, you know, if you're in, I don't know, Tennessee, for example, in Memphis, and you do a shoot there for someone who lives there, and then they're going to tell their friends about it, and then, yeah, it seems like there might be some referrals coming in from that, too. Across the board, referrals are probably the number one source of our clients, because with Boudoir, it's sort of that secret that a lot of women and even men have said, yep, I wanted to do this forever, but I was afraid to take that leap. And then my friend did it. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then that whole circle of friends go down like dominoes where we'll see a big influx of this social circle come in one after another. Yeah, that's cool. But let's back up a little bit because have you always been a photographer? I started out my education, I was a television and film major at Boston University, and I came out, graduated as a TV producer that minored in still photography. And I worked in production for several years in the early 2000s until the economy went bad. And then I, shall we say, sold my soul and went to the agency side of things and gave up creativity (laughs) and did that for a while until what I now refer to as one of the best days of my life. I was working for a small boutique agency that had six employees in the Boston office. And they called us in one Friday and said, yeah, you guys don't need to come in on Monday. We're closing the Boston office. And so I was laid off. And as we all know, change is hard, but when it's forced on you, sometimes it's one of the best things that can happen. And at the time, I wasn't engaged. I wasn't married. My girlfriend, who is now actually my wife of uh, soon to be 11 years, she said, why don't you go out and give photography a try? You've been doing it as a side to hustle to keep your creative Jones happy. Why don't you really give it this push? And so I started my wedding side and event side of the business back then and went full bore because I didn't really have any commitments or worries. I didn't have kids yet. And so I was able to take that leap of faith. And here I am, 12, going on 13 years later, running two brands, now just acquired a photography association that we're, we're running as well. So it's worked out, I would say. Yeah. You're say, you said we're running. Does your, is your wife in business with you? Yes. My wife, back in 2020, right about actually the start of the pandemic, We retired her from the corporate world and she became my studio manager and is the person who runs everything behind the scenes and frees me up to be behind the camera more. Oh, that's really cool. So you're a team. Most certainly. (laughs) Just the two of you or do you have have more people on your team? Um, There are other people that we have as freelancers come in and out. For Boudoir, it's basically it's me, it's her, and then our makeup artists. Okay, cool. Now, when you said... The company you were working for was like, yeah, it's it's no longer. 
obviously, you know, I like to think things happen for us, not to us. You know, for whatever reason, that happened, and I'm sure it sucked at the time, but you made something really great out of it, obviously. Now, think back when all of that started and your girlfriend, now wife, what's what's your wife's name? Michelle. Okay, so when Michelle was like, okay, you can totally do this. You can be a photographer. Do you remember what it was like building and growing at the time? Yeah, I remember it vividly. It's <laughs> in lack of any other term, it sucked <laughs> because yeah. in the beginning, you have this grand idea of you want to shoot this, but when you need to make a living and pay bills, you find yourself saying, okay, I will shoot everything. And so I was back searching Craigslist constantly. I was on every little bit of social media, MySpace back then even, uh-huh. and dating myself. Um, but Oh, trust me, I'm there with you. <laughs> <laughs> I was scouring for anything that I could possibly come across. And I knew the more that I did and the more that I hustled, the bigger my network would be and the easier things would be year after year. And so I hustled like crazy and being at that time frame where didn't have kids was just Michelle and I, I could work however many hours and not worry about, oh, I'm missing out on things. So mm-hmm. I worked like crazy. And after that first year, I realized that I'm like, okay, weddings and events are sort of a really good niche. I enjoy them and there's decent money and there's a good amount of work out there for it. So I settled into that. And then several years in to my wedding business, I started having brides asking me like, oh, I want you to shoot a boudoir session for me. And I didn't do it at that point. And I kept referring that business out. And then one day I'm sitting there and I'm like, why am I sending money elsewhere? So I started doing my homework and really educating myself on boudoir and then launched my secondary brand, Couture Black, my boudoir brand, and started that out as a growth out of the wedding business. And it was sort of a smaller percentage of what my business was, but over the years it started to grow and became more of my passion and started devoting more and more time to that until the pandemic hit and sort of the universe and my own wants and passions started pushing me out of the wedding side of things and Mm -hmm. full-time into boudoir. And ironically, It was the pandemic that really put the nail into the coffin for my wedding side of the business, not because I lost out on things, but it was my 10-year anniversary of being a full-time photographer, and it was the first year in 10 that I hadn't shot a wedding, and made me really start to think, my kids are hitting that age where they're involved Mm -hmm. in stuff, and I didn't want to miss things, and being there for an entire year where I was around my kids all the time with a little bit of extra time because couldn't go anywhere or do anything. And right, and you're home on the weekends. Exactly. And yeah. I didn't want to give that up. So mm-hmm. I had a couple of rescheduled weddings that got pushed into actually this year, two years later. And I just finished the last one two months ago. So I am quasi-retired from weddings. I can't say that I will never, ever do another one, but I'm not actively pushing or pursuing that side of the business anymore. I am... in the studio shooting boudoir. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you said that, you know, your brides were the ones kind of asking you for a boudoir shoot. So do you think that just being a wedding photographer in general 
one, is that where you get most of your clients from? And two, do you think that kind of like gave you a leg up on just really growing that side of your business? Most definitely. And I've spoken about this at different uh, classes that I've taught about how to break into the business or where to to start growing your clientele. And if you're coming from the wedding side of things and you've already got an established brand, you have first off that trust and reputation that you can start to leverage. Even though you may be brand new into the boudoir genre, you still have all of these brides that love you and you can leverage Mm -hmm. that network, which Mm -hmm. I did in the beginning. And it's where majority of my clientele started to grow from. And then as I started to grow into year two and whatnot, we started getting more and more non-bridal clients, which is actually where probably 99% of my business is now. And it really changed the whole brand philosophy when I moved away from bridal clients into sort of the everyday woman. Well, and, and that was going to be my next question is for, for people who are not wedding photographers, because a lot of our listeners, most, I would say probably most of our listeners are not wedding photographers. How do you best get those clients that aren't brides? And I know you said, you know, the ones out of state from traveling and that sort of thing, but, you know, just your local clientele, I guess. Sort of the overall everyday clientele that is the bulk of our business. We have a very big social media presence that we are constantly posting work on, our blog, all of the things you have to be present in any genre, whether it be boudoir or whatnot, you've got to be present and stay fresh in what you're doing. But for boudoir, we face a lot of other challenges that other portrait photographers don't just purely because of the content and the restrictions within social media as far as what you can post and what you can't post. So for us, one of the largest marketing tools as well as overall brand tools is our private Facebook group, where that is where we want to move everyone from whatever it's a print ad campaign to social media, Google AdWords, whatever it may be. We want to move them into our community where we can speak to them directly and they can talk to and see firsthand other clientele and what they're saying in their shoots and behind the scenes stuff. Mm -hmm. Because no matter how much we say or what we put out there, we're not necessarily going to connect with that client because they don't see themselves in this work or whatever it may be. And then all of a sudden we have a client and they post their images from their shoot or they talk about their story and they connect with them. And they've told us like, oh yeah, I saw so-and-so. And and that's what drove me to finally book the session. Mm -hmm. Like they're kind of lurking for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. And I kind of feel like it's like that with, with other genres too. I mean, obviously boudoir is a little bit, you know, you're showing more skin. Typically it's a more of a vulnerable type shoot, you know? Um, but gosh, there are, I can think of clients who years and years ago were like, I really want to do a shoot, but I don't know. I either need to save or I need to lose 10 pounds or, you know, all the reasons that people give. And I'm like, you do not need to lose 10 pounds to do a shoot, first of all. But second, you know, I understand the money situation. But then a couple years later, they have just lurked and lurked and lurked. And now they're like, okay, I'm ready. So it's yeah. it's it's great to have that sort of private community like you do to ha- house everyone in one in one area. I like it. Yeah. For us, it's obviously it's a marketing tool, but we have built it into so much more where, like I said, the brand philosophy changed because when I was doing it for bridal clients, it originally started out as, yep, it's a pretty picture to give to your significant other for your wedding day or whatnot. 
And then when I had my first non-bridal clients, it sort of coincided with the point where I'd been married for two years. We just had my daughter. So I had two women in my life now that I started to see what our society, our culture, our media, the message that it's constantly pouring on women about you're not beautiful unless you're this, you're not Mm -hmm. sexy unless you're that. If you're this age, you can't be this. And I don't ever want my wife, my daughter, or any woman for that fact to not feel beautiful or confident or strong. And that's where our sort of be bold, be sexy, be you tagline grew out of because we wanted to help empower women and see themselves in a way that either they've never seen themselves or it's been quite some time because they've let life take over and sort of just wear them down and work on everyone else Mm-hmm. besides themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not uncommon, especially for, for mothers. And, that, and that's not to say that doesn't happen with women who don't have children, because it does. But, uh, you know, there's like this extra level of putting other little people for, first when you're a mother. So it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we see that a lot where women will come in and they're like, yeah, I need to reprioritize myself now. And we'll ask them like, well, when was the last time you did something for you? And they're like, well, I don't remember. And yeah. it's it's a little bit sad to see that they feel guilty for reprioritizing themselves. And we always let them know, like, first off, it's okay. The more that you keep piling onto yourself, the less valuable you're going to become to those people you're trying to help because you're just wearing yourself down. Right. Do something for you. Recharge your batteries and see yourself in a different way and allow yourself to feel that strength and power. And you're going to be that much more valuable to everyone around you. Yeah, for sure. Now I want to hear about the experience you give to your clients. But before we do that, I want to back up a second because you were talking about Facebook and how it's just social media in general and how there are limitations around posting specific work. How do you work around that? Or like, two questions. One, how do you work around it? And two, have you ever been in like Facebook jail or like, blocked out because of something you posted? Um, So to answer both of those questions, yes, I have been in jail. Very short term. The longest I've had was a three-day Facebook ban. And it was not actually off of a piece of my own work. It was a photo competition that I was curating for another association. And one of the photos got dinged. We still think to this day someone reported it that had a vendetta with the photographer. And Mm -hmm. because I'm the one who was curating the gallery, they put me in jail. So I've been there. It's not fun when you don't have access to it. So I play very safe within the social media pond to make sure that I'm not going to end up back there. And the way that I do that is first off, my work trends more towards editorial boudoir. I'm not towards the erotic end or anything like that. I very rarely would ever push the limits with social media anyway in dealing with what their nudity policies or anything like that. My work is more towards the tame end. I'm like, yes, I do shoot fine art nudes and stuff like that, but I don't go and try and say, oh, well, yeah, they're probably not going to catch this. If I question it, I'm not going to post it because social media is way too important to my business to be down for 24 hours a day, 30 days or the worst, lose my account. Right. So I play really, really conservatively with what I post. And if it's around something that's important coming up, a launch of something like Black Friday, I am 
hyper conservative as to what I post. Ooh, Sean, that's a great point because that's like, you know, I'm sure when you sell a lot of your shoots or book a lot of your clients, if you're doing a Black Friday or sell any of your products or whatever it might be, that's really, really a good point. Yeah, it's one of those things where I've watched other photographers in the industry that aren't as versed in what they should be posting or how, or they just are like, nope, I'm an artist. I want to post what I want. They're actually doing a detriment to their business because mm-hmm. they've lost access to their account in a key week that they want to be putting out content. And really, it's, I mean, people can just go on Facebook and, and find the rules and just read them and just take them for what it says and not try to skirt around it. Like the rules are there. We just have to follow them. They are. But when it comes to their sort of nudity and sexual conduct policies, it's incredibly muddied and nuanced and very hard to understand. And it changes constantly. I actually talked about this at WPPI and just figured that was in February. From January to February, they had changed the policy three times. What are they changing? Like I've I've never been a, a boudoir photographer. Like I just don't I don't have that risk of posting something that, you know, would be considered against the rules in that way. So in my head, I'm like, uh, I feel like they should be really specific about it. Like what are they changing? They have moved like the fact that they'll say too much cleavage, not even like showing really? anything. Oh yeah. Like what um, if someone just has big breasts like most of America, you know what I mean? Like so much of America and so much of the world, like women have breasts and there's going to be cleavage if I'm wearing, like, I don't know. That's crazy. This is where it gets (laughs) really tricky. There was at one point and they pulled this down because it just, I don't know how they didn't get sued. There was a line in it that said, as far as like a hand bra and say uh, implied nude, if the fingers are curved too much and change the shape of the breast, it won't be approved and you could be banned. I'm like, okay. Well, how so do they know what the shape of someone's breast is? First of exactly. all. Exactly. So that's where it gets very confusing. Not to mention the fact wow. of, like you said, if you are a larger breasted woman, just by fact of holding it, the amount of tissue is going to deform in your hand versus someone who is a smaller cup. And right. that's where it starts to really become nuanced of, Am I breaking a rule or not? So when it comes to things like that, oh my god, I didn't I'm realize like, nope. it was this intense. Oh yeah, and it gets even worse when it comes to trying to get Facebook ads or anything like that approved because mm-hmm. I've you could have that. a woman in a dress lying on a bed, and they'll say, "Oh, that's too sexual because she's lying on a bed." It's very frustrating. Wow. Do you have another set of eyes? I know you have Michelle, obviously, but is, do you have another set of eyes to for your ads, especially to say for someone else to look at it and say, all right, what do you think? We have a set of ambassadors that we rely on when we've got questions about, okay, what do we think of this? Is this going to appeal to a larger group of women as far as the cross-section that we're trying to uh-huh. target? So we rely on that sort of circle, but one of the other things that we do is we use our private Facebook group to help us with things and ask them, find out what trends, what's important to them, what they want to see. So it's a sort of a marketing tool for us to pull demographic information if necessary, crowdsource things when needed. So it's, it's really interesting to see how we're able to utilize it as a tool. 
Yeah, I like that. I like that because these are already your tried and true clients or the clients that you're hoping to have in the future. So, I mean, who best to get information from other than them? Like, that's great. Very cool. Yeah, it's one of those things, like I said, it's an amazing community that we've built up where it pushes our brand message forward. Women come in and they're so happy because just the it's one of the few areas on social media that is 100% positive to begin with. It's a zero strikes policy as far as negativity or anything like that. And the discussions that are in there about body positivity and female empowerment, stuff like that, aside from any of the marketing things that we put in there, it's just something that makes me incredibly proud that we've built for this empowerment community. And to see women grow and become friends in the virtual world because they have this shared bond of they did a session and they cheered each other on and then see them become friends in the real world, especially through the pandemic where everything was virtual. And then as soon mm-hmm. as we were uncaged again, these women are like, Ooh, let's meet up for drinks. So let's meet up for coffee. And wow, that's so cool. Coming to different events that we've had at the studio and finally meeting in person. It's, it's really amazing to see and to know that we've fostered some of those relationships. Yeah. Oh, that's so wonderful. Now, back up a little bit and tell us about the ambassadors. So I know some of our listeners out there are like, tell, ask him to tell us this. I can just tell. <laughs> I can hear him. So talk a little bit about your ambassador team. All right. So our ambassador team is, right now we have four of them that are active. We have several alumni. We generally, about every year, year and a half, bring in new ones just so that we have fresh faces and fresh blood. They are the sort of face of the brand when we need to do marketing shoots or something because we don't ever believe in showing our clients behind the scenes. I'm very lucky that probably 95% of my clientele signs model releases and allows me to use them in my marketing and my portfolio. But when it comes to showing stuff in the studio live, what's going on, like when we do a live shoot or something like that, I don't ever want to expose a client to that because that's their time. So that's when we use our ambassadors for things like that, where we'll do a Facebook Live into our group and show what behind the scenes of a shoot is. Um, Or when I need to do a very specific marketing promotion or something, I can say, okay, this is the person that I need. It needs to look like this. And it's for a very specific shoot. And we'll tap them for that as well. But they're also there to help moderate our group and push that philosophy forward and spread that message publicly. They share on their own social media publicly, and that's expected of them if they're going to become an ambassador. Because So you're, you don't have ambassadors as in other photographers, so not associates. These are no. your clients who become... Okay, I just wanted yes. to make that clarification. Yep, okay. So they part of their agreement with us is that they are publicly sharing this message and their imagery and helping normalize boudoir instead of this taboo thing that's left in the shadows of talked about in hushed tones and, oh no, I can't do that. It's taboo. I'm like, no, 99% of the people out there have either had one or have thought about having a session and it needs to be normalized more. It's the most frustrating thing to a boudoir photographer when you bring up what you do for a living and you've got someone who's not familiar with it or whatever. And they say, oh, you shoot porn. Right. I'm like, it is the farthest thing from the truth. And if you want to enrage a boudoir photographer, that's the way to do it. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Well, let's talk about the experience that you give to your clients. So you said you have a studio. 
Yes. Um, actually moved into our new studio in 2020. We had a small 800 square foot space before and I had gotten to a point where I'd sort of outgrown that and it was a converted office space where I had old drop ceilings. So I'm like, I can't do lighting of setups that I want because I'm constantly banging up against the ceiling. So in the middle of a pandemic, well shut down, we invested into a 3000 square foot studio that we had custom built out to exactly what we wanted. Awesome. That's huge. Yeah, it's it's my happy space. And what it allowed us to do is the actual shooting space is 1,500 square feet, 14 foot high ceilings, and designed to exactly what I wanted. We have a hair and makeup suite. We have a client closet, client lounge. And then Michelle and I both have offices, which we're actually broadcasting from now. But it allowed us to create this whole client experience where they walk in to this beautiful space. They get ushered into the hair and makeup lounge where they get pampered by our glam team for about an hour and a half before their session where they get full hair, full makeup, lashes, the works, and we turn them up to 11. So that's the first bit of it where we try and break down their nerves a little bit where they're just getting a little bit of you time and they've got music playing and just relaxed while someone else does all the work for them. We then take them into the, into the studio and work with them, posing them all the way down to their fingertips. We always tell everyone, don't worry about the fact you don't know how to pose or you don't know how to do sexy face. I'm never going to ask you to do sexy face because you're going to look like my six-year-old when I say smile. (laughs) That's never a good sign, but we work them through everything, move them through the different poses. And by midway through the session, they are so confident in what they're doing because we show them the back of camera throughout so that we're building on that confidence and they can't say, Oh my God, no, I don't, I can't possibly look good. I'm like, well, here's the back of the camera and there's not little magic elves in here that are making this and Photoshopping it. That's what you look like. (laughs) And they are beaming by the time they leave. And we always encourage them. We're like, you've got your hair done, your makeup done. You look amazing. You feel amazing. Go out and do something fun. Don't go home, do laundry because your laundry does not deserve you when you look and feel that good. So it's, (laughs) it's awesome to see our clients leave already. They haven't even seen a finished photo and they already feel changed and are talking about their next session before they've seen their finished images. Yeah, very cool. And as far as seeing their finished images and, you know, like sales process and all of that, how does that go? So for me, I have a little bit longer process. Some photographers out there will do same day reveals or they've got their clients back in with in a week or whatnot, purely because of the volume that I shoot. I have a longer process because I have between three to four clients a week and I hand edit everything. I don't batch or or use presets. So I want the very stylized look to my images so that when you look at it, it's recognizably mine. So generally about three weeks later, they come back into the studio. We come into the client lounge where we've got a 65 inch monitor where they see their images for the first time. Generally it's presented in a Animoto slideshow to begin with. I love Animoto. It's one of the greatest tools out there because what it does, first off, they're just expecting to see photos. They're not expecting a video. Mm-hmm. And yep. this video comes thing. up and they're like, they're wowed by that, but it rebuilds all that excitement of seeing their images flash across the screen and bringing back that 
that feeling that they had from session day, once we get through the slideshow, it's not just, okay, time to get to the sale. It's about talking to them. How do they feel? What struck them about their images? I want to know what it is about the session and how it changed them because I want to be able to incorporate those things into my next shoot and the next one so that I'm constantly building and evolving the experience so that it speaks to every woman and we're not missing out on things. So we talk about their shoot a little bit. We talk about their images, what's their favorite. And then we start to get into the sales process where we talk about the different packages and we advise them on what is the best route to go. It's it's more of a consultation than it is a sales process for me because almost all of our clients leave with wall art. And most people think, oh my God, I could never hang a picture of myself in my underwear on my wall. And <laughs> we have women who walk out of here with 24 by 36 medals or canvases for their bedroom and multiples of them. Awesome. So we want to make sure that we're guiding them into the right piece for them, the correct sizing and everything for what it is. So we use all the different tools throughout like Fundy to show them virtual stuff on a wall to say, oh no, you could definitely do this. But just the fact that within the studio, and this is another reason why we custom built out, we have probably 50 different pieces of artwork hanging throughout the studio to be able to say, this is what this looks like in this size. So they can start to envision themselves as that. And it's been nothing but a helpful tool to be able to normalize and start them from the moment they walk into the studio for their session as to, ooh, wall art. And then as women post in our group and just overall talk about it, it normalizes the idea that, yeah, I have to have this on my wall. I want to wake up in the morning and see myself and say, wow, I'm badass and I look amazing. Yeah, that's really great. What what type of products do you use? I know you mentioned canvas and metal, but do you have specific products that you really love to sell? My favorite is metals, but the main three that we promote are metals, acrylics, and frame canvases. And I'm lucky that I have some amazing vendors. I'm like four exclusively i use fluoracolor for my albums they are absolutely amazing and my clients love them our metals come from them as well pro prince is our canvas and acrylic provider and the quality there our clients absolutely love awesome very cool talk to us a little pricing do you do everything a la carte or do you have packages when i started out it was originally a la carte and it was a lot more confusing that way and also just from the business standpoint I found when we shifted over into a package pricing model, sales went up. It made it a lot easier for clients to figure out what they wanted and for us to lead them to the packages that we wanted so that we were making the income that we wanted. So 99% of our clients go with a package. Very few will look at anything a la carte because, again, throughout our whole process from our website to our social media to our groups we're conditioning them to want that package to want an album to want their digitals to want wall art and then we build the hooks into the packages to get them up to the one that we want to buy the most in average now how do you get them up to that like you say to you know hook them up to the the one that you want them to buy or do you have a specific strategy around that The strategy that we use most 
is the where the digitals come in. In our mm-hmm. bottom packages, their digitals are not included in those packages. So okay. the entry level that we want them to ideally buy is the first one that includes digitals. And then everything above that just moves them up. The other, the other hooks that you generally want to look at are not allowing the, we do a print credit that they're allowed to spend on the, um, our print menu. So we make it so that you can't get two of the same size or what have you, you have to bump up to that next package in order to get it, or you have to spend additional money over and atop the package in order to get, Oh, I want to get two twenty by thirties. Well, mm-hmm. if you're in this lower package, you can only get one of them and you're going to be ending up spending more money on top of the package. It's smarter just to bump up to this. You're going to get this much more and you move them up that way. It's about really breaking down your menu so that there's that incentive to spend a little bit more because you're going to get a lot more and figuring out where that margin is and how to finesse your menu so that you're you're pulling them up into that next package because they're like, oh, I want this and, oh, I can get that. And <laughs> they move themselves up in there. Anyone who comes in is like, oh, I just want to get this one. And it's if they say it's the package that doesn't include the digitals and it's the one right below, I can almost guarantee that they're going to move up to the one with the digitals once I present to them. Well, you do realize, first off, you're going to want to have these on your phone or what have you. You want a digitals, right? And they're like, of course, yeah. I'm like, well, that one doesn't include digitals. But if you bump up to this one, not only are you going to get your digitals, but you get 10 additional images that you don't have to cut out of the full selection. So it's small things that make big differences. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Something I always include is the black and white version, digital versions. In like my personal branding and portrait shoots, I include the black and white version because sometimes they can't decide like, oh, I love the black and white, but I love the color. And I'm like, well, if you get the the larger package, you get both of the color and black and white digitals. They're like, oh, like sometimes that's enough just to like bump them over. It's hardly any time for me. It doesn't cost me a whole lot of money. Just like I'm sure for you, adding in another order of a canvas or whatever isn't, it's no sweat off your back, but for them, it's a huge value. Yeah. And that's probably the biggest word is value is figuring Mm -hmm. out how to create more value in that next package that they are going to love. Just adding more of something isn't necessarily going to do it. You need to know what your clients value the most and figure that out that way. And again, this is where we use our group and crowdsource and we're constantly talking with our clients to find out what they love or where their their mindset is, whether they're a client, past, present, or future. We want to constantly be on top of where the trends are going. So we can adjust our menus to, one, have those products, but also make sure that we're putting the right hooks to bring them up to that next level. Yep, yep. Very smart. I like it. Do you know what your sales average is for your boudoir shoots? We average just over 4000 a client. Wow, that's great. And do you have a session fee? Our session fee is on the lower end when in the boudoir world, there's sort of two schools of thought. There's the ones that say, yes, you need a high session fee to one, guarantee your clients are going to show up and all of that. And then there's the other ones that will go with a lower session fee because they'd rather have butts and seats. Mm-hmm. I fall into that. I would rather have my schedule full butts and seats and our process and 
our community and the way that we take you from book now to when you're actually in the studio is designed to make sure that you're going to be there because you're invested in your session. You're invested in the brand and excited Mm -hmm. about being there. It's not so much the random off the street person who booked us and is not part of our community. We work basically our sales funnel, sort of, so to speak of our clients usually aren't someone who just booked us and found us. And then they're coming in in a month or two. It's people that have been following us and they're booked out for months in advance. Like currently right now we're sold out for 2022 and have been for about a month and a half now. And so anyone who comes to us now, the first session, I think we have one slot left in January of 23. So they're basically already looking at February. And once Black Friday comes along, we'll probably book out at least the first quarter of next year, if not the first half of next year. That's great. Do you require a down payment to keep you know, their spot or whatever? Yes. So there is still that session fee. For us, it's 249 And basically what that does, it reserves their spot and that pays my hair and makeup. So I know I'm not at a loss if they were to ghost me. Okay. Well, that's cool. Awesome. Well, this has been really great. I know it, it's interesting because we just met on Zoom not too long ago because we're both on the board for Rangefinder and WPPI. And it seems like you are really, uh, not only are you a photographer, you know, and for your clients and everything, but it seems like you're you're really into like teaching other people and just, you know, being part of kind of the the industry side of it as well. And yeah. you said you you and your wife just acquired a boudoir association. Is that right? Yes. So tell in, us a little bit about that. In 2021, Michelle and I acquired the Association of International Boudoir Photographers. Uh, which is the premier association for the boudoir industry. And I had been a member of it since 2014, I believe. And it is one of the things that I attribute to my growth and success within the industry, both from the connections as far as friendships that I've made through the uh, association, the education, and just the overall sense of community because Let's face it, as photographers, we have a very solitary sort of job where we don't have that water cooler talk or that Monday morning talk about what went on the weekend with a large group at work. So it's about finding your tribe and the people that understand the trials and tribulations that go specifically with what you do in your genre. And that was AIBP for me. And so I'd been a member of it. I'd been to their educational retreats which are every November and made some of my ride or die friends in the photography industry there. And it pushed me and it came to a point at sort of the beginning of 2020 with the pandemic, the previous ownership was struggling, keeping everything together with what was going on. And I didn't want to see the association fail. So we started into negotiations to purchase it and it, all finally came to fruition. Actually, while we were at WPPI in August of 21, I got the call from the bank that said everything had gone through and Hmm. we became the owners. And one of the coolest things ever was we had made our announcements on social media and everywhere. And then we went and walked the expo floor. So everyone knew that we had just taken over and was congratulating us. So it was a really cool moment. And since that moment, we have 
revamped the association and began advocating heavily for the boudoir genre because in the photo industry as a whole, we're sort of looked at as the redheaded stepchild by a lot of the major conferences. And that's always frustrated me where it's like, oh, there's boudoir education. And no, it's really a wedding photographer who shoots like two or three boudoir shoots a year. And I'm like, that's not really good boudoir education. So began shouting behind the scenes and it started to pay off where this past year, WPPI, they had the Boudoir Summit, a full day of education with actual boudoir photographers. And I was incredibly honored that I was actually the very first speaker. Um, I kicked it off on uh, Sunday in the very first class. So it was amazing to be there in a room with 250 boudoir photographers and be able to provide really in-depth boudoir-focused education. And that has been my passion now that I've sort of come into that next evolution within my career where I've been doing this for 12 years and I want to be able to give back as an educator, as an advocate for the industry and start to create change where we're taken a little bit more seriously. Yeah, that's great. That's great. It's great to be an advocate for, you know, the industry that you love. And and I love how you said, too, you've made so many lifelong friends. Gosh, I just have made some incredible friendships throughout the photography industry that has been life-changing. It's really amazing. Most definitely. The, the people that I rely on the most, especially within the boudoir genre, came from the very first AIBP retreat that I went to out in LA in 2015. And they are... Like I said, my rider dies if I'm having a bad day or something and I need that pep talk. I'm like, they're the ones I reach out to and vice versa. Oh, totally. Yep. Yep. And yeah. they're spread across the world and I get to see them occasionally at conferences. Um, and it's that haven't missed a beat when you guys see each other type of relationship. Mm-hmm. It's cool, too, because anytime I travel, if I want to do a shoot or if I need to find a studio to rent or whatever, you know, if I need a makeup artist all around the world. I could literally go probably anywhere in the world. Like we have members in the portrait system in Egypt and the Bahamas and, you know, Nigeria. Like it's just the coolest thing. It really yeah. is. And that's the thing about photography and photographers in general is no matter what genre you shoot, we're all one big family. And we have this common goal of, creating art and capturing moments that doesn't matter if you're shooting weddings, you're shooting boudoir, you're shooting portraits. We share that common bond. And that I think makes us really unique versus any other profession out there where we're a very personal, very intimate and not intimate in the sense of boudoir, but just we deal with people very vulnerable in front of a camera because most people don't like having their photo taken and it's our superpower to freeze that moment and have them appreciate that moment that's been frozen and who they are and what they, what they appear as in that. And being able to have that common bond doesn't matter what language you speak is, is very special in my eyes. And I love just that community doesn't matter what genre it is that that really speaks to me and that's part of the reason why I love 
now leading the boudoir genre forward um, as the president of AIBP is furthering that that community there and making us a little bit larger. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I really appreciate you sharing all of this great information with me, <laughs> with all of us and our listeners. And um, yeah, very cool. I do have a couple other questions for you, though. Sure. Uh, the first one is, what is something you can't live without when you're doing a photo shoot? Coffee. Um, coffee is, is one of the things that ironically everyone associates with me. I am a coffee addict. Um, I have my own hashtag living the coffee life. Um, <laughs> but it's like, I've had people literally message me when they've seen me on flights out to conferences and I don't have a coffee in my hand on the picture. They're like, are you okay? Do we need to call? <laughs> like somebody? But for me, I am a very big artificial light. I, use studio strobes constantly. So for me, it's like, I'd say it's probably some sort of lighting setup. I, I prefer to shoot and control my lighting environment, my studio. I couldn't tell you what direction my windows face if you paid me. So I love being able to craft and really control my light. So I'd say probably one of my, uh, my studio strobes is one of those things that I've never, ever traveled without. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. What, what lights do you use? I use Gikoto. Um, I'm actually sponsored by them. So they, I came across them, I want to say three years ago now I've been using their lights. I was using Buff and I just sort of became a little bit disillusioned with their product. The quality had gone down a little bit and I just wasn't happy with what I was getting anymore. And I came across Gikoto and got introduced to them again through fellow photographers that said, oh, you guys have to, have to meet them. Their stuff is amazing. And I met them at Imaging and fell in love with their product and have been shooting with it. And they recently approached me to be one of their ambassadors. Awesome. Very cool. All right. Next question is, how do you spend your time when you're not working? Um, when I'm not working. Okay, we're photographers. Are we ever not working? Um, <laughs> I talked about this at the Portrait Masters when I was on the stage. Like when I did my talk, I was like, okay, we need boundaries around when we're working and not because so many people, when I ask that question on the Portrait System podcast, that's what they say is, are we ever not working? And I'm like, ah, we need boundaries. <laughs> yeah. It's aside from the fact of being a photographer and a business owner, Yes, you do need to take downtime. And this, like I said, sort of circles back to the beginning where I now have my daughter turns 10 on October 4th and my son is six and a half. So they're at that point where my weekends are no longer mine. They're into soccer and hockey and dance and lacrosse. And so I wanted to be present for that. And that drove me to really finalize my decision to move out of weddings. So if it's not with my kids, I am an avid runner, competitive runner. So oh, that's cool. getting back into that, I am hoping at the end of October to run in Salem, the devil's chase, which is a 6.66 miler and kick off my competitive season again. But uh, I try and Try and have sort of Zen me time, whether it be out running and just by myself. We live right on the coast, the probably about 75 feet from the sand. So a lot of times it's just going over, sitting in the sand, listening to the waves crash. Yeah. And oh, that's great. just zoning out. Um, so that's probably the biggest. And other than that, now, and it seems foreign, is travel again. 
getting back to that and getting out and seeing the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's what I'm all about for sure. Very cool. Um, and the last question is, what would you tell people who are just starting out? People who are just starting out have to realize that you're not going to have all the answers to start. Lean on the people that do. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Find someone who's been there and done that. It's a daunting thing to launch a business and your journey as an artist making a living that way. My wife, Michelle, told me probably about five years after um, I launched the business that she encouraged me and everything at that point because she felt she needed to. But knowing that basically one in five startups actually are successful, that yeah. she wasn't wasn't expecting anything to come from it, but she knew she needed me to do it to get it out of my system and whatnot. Here we are 12 years later. And when she told me, like I said, it was probably five or six years in, we were successful at that point. And I always joke now, I'm like, oh yeah, and you didn't think this was going to be successful, did you? But it was because I built a network. I asked questions whenever I could from people more experienced than me in all aspects of photography so that I could learn. Don't just think, okay, I'm a boudoir photographer, so all I need to learn from is boudoir photographers. No, spread out, take classes on anything, lighting, business, posing, whatever Mm -hmm. it may be, because ultimately the smallest amount of what we actually do is take pictures. Yeah, it's so true. It's about marketing. It's about business. It's about Mm -hmm. sales. And Mm -hmm. the quicker you learn that and realize that you're a business person and an artist, the more successful that you're going to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why we have Soma on the portrait system within our our platform. There's everything. Everything you just mentioned. (laughs) It's like we don't always learn how to become business owners when we're learning to become a photographer. It's, it's also important. Yeah. Learning your business systems is one of the most important things that you can do. Totally. Well, Sean, where can people find you online? So finding me online, pretty much Facebook and Instagram are the same. It's Couture, C-O-U-T-U-R-E, Black, B-L-A-C-K, photo is my handle there. And then the other place that you want to look into is the Association of International Boudoir Photographers, which on Instagram is A-I-B-P-Photog, but it's only one P. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And I'm sure I will see you at some event in the future now that we know each other. (laughs) We'll be able to say hello and meet in person. Awesome. Sounds good. I've had a great time talking with you. Awesome. Thank you, Sean. Thank you so much for listening to the Portrait System Podcast. Your five-star reviews really help us to continue what we do. So if you like listening, would you mind giving us a review wherever you listen? I also encourage you to head over to SueBriceEducation.com where you can find all of the education you need to be a successful photographer. There are over 1,000 on-demand educational videos on things like posing, lighting, styling, retouching, shooting, marketing, sales, business, and self-value. There's also the 90-day startup challenge, plus so many downloads showing hundreds of different poses. We have to-do checklists for your business, lighting PDFs. I mean, truly everything to help make you a better photographer and to make you more money. Once again, that's SueBriceEducation.com.